two. Welcome everybody to the first presidential H3 podcast sponsored by Honey and Quip. Today, our guest is Andrew Yang, who is running as the Democratic presidential candidate. Did I say that right? Yeah, yeah, it's like spot on. Yeah, good. Because I don't want to, you know, you're running for to be the candidate. It's a whole thing. If you get my mm. intro wrong, then by presidential decree, I will not. I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, guys, if you hear anything you like here today with Andrew, head on over to yang2020.com to donate and help support the campaign. Um, I know that you're short on time. We have like an hour, hour and a half, something like that. So I'm going to keep it flowing. I'm going to keep it going. Um, and I want to get this out of the way. I have one thing that I really want to ask you first is what makes you think you can be president if you don't even wear a tie? Well, I didn't wear a tie on the debate. I don't wear a tie on the trail very much. I think America is ready for a different kind of president who's more about substance than form. Mm. Uh, and, you know, not wearing a tie is sort of an emblem of the fact that I'm not a politician. I'm not someone who's been rattling around Washington for years or decades. And unfortunately, most Americans don't think that career politicians are going to solve our problems. It's one reason I'm running for president. Mm. Mm-hmm. So what make well, that's a great answer, by the way. Uh, it, it is a conscious choice not to wear the tie. Yeah, I mean, I, I've worn a tie in the past. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't enjoy it. I actually went is to a snooty. The tie it, is it, awful. I hate the tie. It's not great. I, I went to a <laughs> yeah. prep school as a kid that had you wear a tie all the time too. Oh. So that does not. Uh, let's say engender positive <laughs> association. So you have no experience at, uh, in holding political office. You went straight from being a CEO, right, to running for president. Does it make sense that you went straight? Like, uh, does it makes sense maybe to go become a mayor or governor or senator first. Why did you decide to go straight to the presidency? The main reason is that I'm running to try and solve the biggest problems of our time. And I think those problems are accelerating and getting more and more serious. Mm-hmm. So I genuinely didn't think I had five to ten years of climbing the ladder to wait to address some of these problems. To me, the reason why Donald Trump's our president is that we automated away four million manufacturing jobs in Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Missouri. And those automation Uh, trends are just picking up steam as we close 30% of America's stores and malls uh, because of Amazon. Self-driving cars and trucks are around the corner and driving a truck's the most common job in 29 states. So if I bided my time and Mm. was like, oh, I'm going to run for mayor and then maybe eventually I'll start Mm. trying to make this case. It's like, we just don't have time for that shit. Truthfully, I didn't have time for that shit. The country doesn't have time for that shit. So I decided to run for president out of the gate. Uh, And one of the things I'd say to people is, look, I'm not some asshole who says, like, oh, I'm going to run the government like a business uh, because they're very, very different things. You need very different leadership uh, skills, and it's a different operating model. I've been the CEO of a business, and when you're the CEO, if you tell someone to do something, they kind of have to do it because you're their boss and you're paying them, and if they don't do it, then you'll probably end up making a change. (laughs) But in government, you can't pull that off. You can't be like, hey, you know, Mitch McConnell, do what I say, or, um, you know, like, he doesn't care. It's like Mm -hmm. they've got a different set of motivation. So you have to do something that's much closer to what I did as the head of a nonprofit for the last seven years, which Mm -hmm. is you have a vision and then you try and galvanize energy and consensus around that vision. And that's something I can do. And I'll be very glad to do it as our president. Mm. So you see, you see us running out of time and in certain things, and you felt compelled 
from urgency to to run for president is there something was there a specific moment where i mean that seems like uh, quite a change in career path where you were like i'm a ceo now i know you made an exit from that company is that right when it sold yeah and i i was the ceo of a private company that was acquired a while ago and i started a nonprofit in 2011 i was actually just talking to some people last night about the fact that the real divergence for me was starting this nonprofit mm. called venture for america that helped train hundreds of entrepreneurs to create thousands of jobs in Detroit, Cleveland, New Orleans, Birmingham, places I'd never been, honestly. Like, mm. I'd been operating mostly on the East Coast. And so when I made that decision, I found my, <coughs> excuse me, I found myself in all of these environments I'd never been in before, and I realized just how fundamental the economic changes were. Mm -hmm. And then when you do that work for a number of years and you realize that you're pouring water into a bathtub that has a giant hole ripped in the bottom, mm. and the hole in the bathtub threatens to... Uh, destroy our our political system, our way of life over time. Mm. Uh, that's the urgency you're talking about. Right. I'm also a parent. I, I know. Congratulations to you both on <laughs> yes, thank, thank you. On joining the parent club. Yes. Yeah. And when you have kids, you also have a different perspective where you think, okay, how how am I going to leave the country or the world in a condition that I'd be proud to leave to my kids? Mm -hmm. yeah. And right now, I'm not excited about the world we're leaving to our kids. And you have to kids, right? Yeah, I have two boys, six and three, one of whom uh, is autistic. And so looking up and being honest about what I see coming down the pike, uh, I knew that someone needed to do something. And as an entrepreneur, and you know this, if you say, oh, someone else will take care of this, that almost never works. Because no. <laughs> <laughs> no one will take care of it. So uh, I decided I could make a contribution. Interesting. Um, you, you say, and I, and I agree with you, that the reason Trump was elected is 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 mainly due to the fact that we're actually losing jobs, uh, leaking out to automation. But I think the people that, that that voted for him are not necessarily aware of that. They see they're they're talking about immigration and they're talking about uh, China and stuff like this. How do you sh how do you convince these people um, who have been kind of being fed propaganda for so long? Uh, that the that the issue isn't immigrants or China or whatever else, it's that uh, our, our their jobs are being automated away. Because uh, and another issue I see is you know conservatives are are tend to be or Republicans tend to be the party of like anti giveouts, right? Anti welfare. Um, so how do we convince conservatives that the problem is not what they think? And and also, how do we convince them to be okay taking these handouts? When the, it seems like this is kind of like a a naughty word in, in conservative circles. Well, I'm happy to say that when I presented this case to literally thousands of Americans around the country, a light bulb goes off where you say, "Look, it's technology and automation." I'll, I'll describe my conversations with truck drivers. Two years ago, if you said, "Hey," trucks are going to start driving themselves in a number of years, mm -hmm. they would look at you and say, there is no way mm -hmm. a robot could ever do my job. Right. Mm -hmm. And then that turned this past year, and yeah. now the right. conversation is, we have to make robot trucks illegal. <laughs> oh, really? It's a very, very different convo. They're lobbying for that, huh? And when you go to people and say, look, it's not immigrants, it's technology, I have never had any group of people stand up and say, it's not robots, it's immigrants. As soon as you say it's not immigrants, it's robots, they're like, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> like, like, they just got to wait for you to say it. 
But I wonder. It's so true. I feel like I've experienced it myself when I heard you talk when you were on the Rogan podcast. It's all of a sudden clicked to me. Like, oh, thank you. It's it's right here. It's already happening. Oh, it's happening. And then too, like all they have to do is look up. Like they see the. Uh, grocery stores with the self checkout. They see the fast yeah. food with like the screens to touch. They see mm-hmm. the airports that used to have clerks and now they don't. So they can see it all. And so when you point it out to them, they say, "Oh yeah, that's right." Mm-hmm. To the second point, you say, "Look, uh, conservatives don't like quote unquote handouts." There's one state that's had a dividend for almost 40 years, and it's Alaska. Mm-hmm. It's a deep red. Republican state as a Republican governor. It's one reason why we named this the Freedom Dividend is because it tested better with conservatives with the word freedom in it. <laughs> but, yeah, but, or, but it yeah. But it's also uh, a dividend on our shared progress as a country. And I had uh, someone in the Midwest say, like, as soon as you made me think, wait a minute, companies do this for their shareholders at the time, we can do this. Um, so this is not really a left or right thing. It's bipartisan. What conservatives hate is they hate giant bureaucracies making people's decisions for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they don't mind the idea of people getting economic independence and autonomy uh, to do what they want, particularly if it seems fair like mm-hmm. it does in Alaska. So I, I'm very curious, actually, about if we have case studies about such a thing of, of, of a universal basic income being enacted. I know I've heard, I've heard Alaska mentioned. Are there other places that you know of that, that have such a thing? Yeah, there are a number of incidences around the world. Uh, There are Middle Eastern countries that are just distributing an oil dividend. It's like Alaska revved up. Some of the Scandinavian countries have almost the equivalent in terms of how robust their social safety nets are. Indian tribes have something similar where they end up with casino wealth and they start giving it out to everyone. Mm. So what is the effect on on the society in which these happen? I think um, Arab countries is a little bit of an outlier. It's a strange situation there but like in alaska for example how much how much money do they get for example and what is the rationale for giving it out there just to get people to want to live in alaska (laughs) i mean i don't know so it was almost 40 years ago and a republican governor realized they had tons of oil in the ground they're going to make some money and so he went to the alaskan people and said who would you rather get the money the government or you Mm. and the people (laughs) of alaska said us it's like oh i thought you'd say that (laughs) so then that has grown over time to the point where now everyone in Alaska gets between one and $2,000 a year, no questions asked. Mm. And this mm. is man, woman, or child. So if you're a family of four, you're going to get, let's call it $8,000. Mm. And that's significant. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So this program in Alaska has created thousands of jobs, has improved children's health and nutrition. It's wildly popular. It's decreased income inequality. Uh, And it stood the test of time through all of these years and now decades. Mm. So this is an example of something. And if you ask someone in Alaska uh, whether they like it, they love it. It's like the favorite thing that the government does. (laughs) A majority of Alaskans who absolutely hate taxes said they would accept higher taxes if it meant keeping the dividend. Mm. They like the dividend so much. So Alaska's got the oil. What does mainland America have that can pay first of all more? They they you say they get a thousand dollars a year. So you're proposing the universal basic income, the freedom dividend, $1,000 a month for everyone 18 and older, right? They have oil. We have marijuana. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot of weed. (laughs) We have technology. Technology is the oil of the 21st century. Mm. We have Elon Musk. We have Elon Musk. We have Jeff Bezos, Richard Manalive. Still, even post-divorce, I think he's the richest man alive still. Not the best divorce, by the way. (laughs) I was so fascinated by 
just by the fact of the divorce, his his ex-wife became like the third richest, richest woman, woman in the world. world yeah. God bless her. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Anyway, sorry. Oh, not that at is, all. That's oh, definitely I mean, worth the, the, digressing was, on. Yeah. Yeah. So Amazon's this trillion-dollar tech company closing 30% of our stores and malls and paying zero in taxes. And that's not unusual. They regularly pay zero in taxes. That's this. I always hear that. I mean, I've been hearing um, that stat yeah. for so long. How right. does it work? Because oh. I feel like we became pretty successful, and the more we, we made, go, we pay more. more you pay. We go. <laughs> we go. I'm like, so, I go to my accountant. I'm like, hey, what's going on? I'm paying fifty percent taxes. I thought I was supposed to be paying like zero, <laughs> and he laughs at me and says, "Oh, well, that's just for billion, uh, that's like billion Apple. dollar companies that have fleets of accountants and lawyers." Yup. <laughs> yeah. So I've I've been in the same boat. I ran a private company, and we also paid. 40 to 50 percent in taxes quite regularly mm. and so then you look up and you say how the heck is amazon paying zero in taxes yeah. i can explain it <laughs> most of these tech companies are multinationals mm -hmm. so what they do is they move their profits and often their revenue to markets that have lower tax rates you know one haven that everyone uses ireland right. somehow all the money is going through ireland so what does that mean practically okay how do you operate a business chiefly in america and then somehow what does Ireland have to do with you not paying taxes? With Amazon not paying taxes. Yeah, so, or Amazon. So Amazon has uh, businesses all over the world, and so they can shift revenue and expenses through different divisions. Mm. The other thing is that... But they can say our company in Ireland made a trillion dollars or whatever? Yeah, More or less. Uh, and like, that's just and all... And people fraud? are... And, and, you know, our... our Government is so dumb our, that that goes our on. Our oversight yeah. is just like, cool, <laughs> that's all good. Yeah. If, if like if I go to the IRS and be like, yeah, I, I deducted a... All of my money. I didn't make any money this year. And they're like, cool. Another trick they use, which doesn't work for companies like ours, but works for Amazon, you can expense stock compensation of various types. So what they do is they look around. The other thing they can expense is they can expense uh, various future regarding investments. So Amazon will look up and they'll literally look up and say, oh, it looks like we're going we're gonna to make some money this year. That's unacceptable. Mm. Let's take that extra couple hundred million or billion or whatnot and plow it into this new division. Oh, so they buy Twitch. Yeah, they can. They, right. Or they can just say, let's pay our executives mm. a ton in stock options. And guess what? That's an expense. That's an expense. Oh, my God. And so, and it makes us rich too. Like, you know, <laughs> score. So they'll, they'll look at it and there are different ways they can get the tax down to complicated, zero. complicated, you know, because it just seems so stupidly simple. And I've been hearing this for what seems like my whole life, yet how is it possible that nobody has been able to to get taxes from these huge companies? Well, that's what we need to change. And so when people look around and but say, But is it that easy? Because I've been hearing that like my whole life. I mean, what's different about you? A lot of it is that I'm not owned by any corporate masters. Uh, we have 100... 60,000 plus donors and the average donation in our campaign is only $26. So I joke our fans and the Yang Gang, thank you Yang Gang, <laughs> are even cheaper than Bernie's fans. <laughs> so I don't owe any lobbyists, any, you know, backroom favors. Is that it? Uh, it's just lobbying? A lot of it's lobbying. And then, you, then company, you have Congress people who are being lobbied. Right. Corporate money has completely overrun our politics. You know, there are a few independent legislators, but in this legislative body of hundreds of bought and sold legislators like you know you have a few people washington dc chews up and spits out idealists it does really? it's a total mess have you spending time there it's a disaster no so there's a pretty obvious fix to this 
And the fix is what other countries around the world figured out decades ago, which is to have a system that doesn't revolve around Amazon paying out a share of profits, but instead has them pay a value-added tax. So you take a tiny toll. Mm -hmm. And we've all experienced this when we go abroad. There's a, a VAT, and it's like oxygen. It oh, works. Right. Mm. And so Amazon, if Amazon said, hey, we didn't make any money this year, we'd be like, we don't care. Like, you pay <laughs> us a, a toll on everything. Same with every Google search. pay the VAT? Facebook ad. Well, that's one reason why what my plan is to take that money and then some and just return it to American consumers immediately in the form of a dividend. Mm -hmm. Increases the purchasing power of 94% of Americans, is a game changer for families and children and uh, women, minorities. Uh, so in a vacuum, if you just passed a VAT, we would successfully get the money from the Amazons of the world, but our prices would go up this much. Mm. Then, if you take that money and say, look, just put it back into consumers' hands and then some, mm -hmm. then you increase our buying power, and then it, it creates a virtuous cycle. Because right now, if we got that money, we know Jeff and Amazon would get some of it back because we'd buy some extra stuff on Amazon, but that's fine after mm -hmm. we get that money and, and it, it ends up... Well, I'm confused about, I guess, what the VAT is because in Europe, when I see a VAT, I, aren't I, as the consumer, it's like a sales tax that I pay, Right. Yeah. So, or is it the Amazon paying it? Because I, I, I'm under the impression that it would be me that would be paying it and not costing Amazon anything. So the VAT goes through every business interaction, and so it is technically Amazon paying it. And oh. then some businesses you've seen pass it uh, along to consumers in various ways. But if it's okay. a business-to-business -business transaction, it's still getting paid. I see. So mm -hmm. it's not something that shows up on my receipt when I buy something from Amazon, theoretically speaking. You know, it would depend upon the choice Amazon makes, really, mm. whether they want to show it to you or not. <laughs> mm, I, <see. laughs> I guess is the main it. thing. Yeah. Um, but if so you, how, yeah, but so if you look at the, these future trends, you have artificial intelligence coming online that's going to end up replacing hundreds of thousands of drivers and call center workers. And right now, the American public is going to get essentially zero of this value because, again, the beneficiaries right. are the biggest tech companies. They pay zero or next to zero in taxes. Mm -hmm. So as they soak up more and more value, we're looking around being like, what's going on? Where'd the money go? where the jobs? Mm -hmm. So this is why you need a mechanism so that we all share in that progress or else things are just going to get darker and darker. Yeah. So how much money do we need to suck? Is there enough money in Amazon and Microsoft and Google? Is there enough money there to, to, to suck up to pay this freedom dividend? I mean, how much money do we need, first of all, to to tackle this? There is enough money, especially over time. The cost savings around automating truck driving, as one example, are estimated to be $168 billion a year just from that oh, wow. one industry. So if you extrapolate it over multiple industries and then you project over time what artificial intelligence is going to be able to do, that's really the trap we're in that right now, as that value takes off, if we're in position to see zero of it, then we're Yeah, selling. we're just left behind. Yes. But if we get a sliver of it, a sliver of a very, very large number is also a very, very large number. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> so even with the freedom dividend, let's say, because you're saying it's a small, even just a small slice, are we moving more and more to a world where we have five companies that own everything that are al almost as equal to in terms of its power and, 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 and resources as the federal government, as they soak up more and more and more and more money, automate less costs, less paying out. Um, do you see a, a world where these corporate entities are, are almost 
an equal footing as the federal government and and is that is that just inevitable that's certainly the way things are going right now and if you were to ask Jeff Bezos uh, in in private whether he thinks he's more powerful than the president of the United States, he'd probably be like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know? He's like, obviously. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Yeah. You know, I'm worth $120 That's billion. question. Yeah. I got a bigger house than he does. I'm making spaceships to Mars and my side job. I mean, that is what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah it's, his, it's his side hustle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Just a hobby. To Mars. So we're already there in essence. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, the top companies are running around our government uh, like our government is a bunch of clumsy children. And if you look at the recent hearings, you see most government legislators have very limited notions mm-hmm. of what technology is or can do. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so uh, currently our most powerful CEOs just see government as something to walk around and just avoid. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that, that's the <laughs> world, we, world we live in now. Yeah. Um, it's one reason why people have this sense of foreboding because they're like, oh man, like DC doesn't have its act together. There's and something wrong. I think a lot of people sense, oh, there's something wrong. What is it? But the politics to me, and I think to most people, is like, how do you even understand what's going on? Like people who say they understand, I don't even believe because there's so much moving parts. There's so much backroom deals. Uh, you know, so much corruption. So much. How do you even know what is actually what going is really on? Happening I feel like I don't even know. I, I don't even bother to try. That's a very rational decision. Uh, the One of the stats I saw was that 25% of Americans are, quote-unquote, politically disengaged. Right. They yeah. just think it's a waste of time I and think energy. it's that, yeah. because w- what do you get your information from? I mean, the newspaper, what's the best source? I mean, okay, you're going to read the newspaper, you're going to watch the news. Um, and it's even, still so filtered and removed. And so even the them. debates, like you pointed out, just feel like you're watching a reality and not actual. Anything. And not even a good one. The debates really are such a nightmare. <laughs> I mean, they ask you complex questions and expect you to answer in what, like 30 seconds, and then they cut you off. Um, and they focus so much on the drama. It's like right. they want it. They want you to get into an argument with Joe Biden. On <laughs> yeah, and you know one thing I'll, I'll share with you all is that some of the campaigns are in touch with the TV network ahead of time to talk about what sort of attack they want to <laughs> level wow. on the stage. They're like, <laughs> an attack on uh, Biden crazy. around yes. this question would be would play really well. Or Yes, the campaign says, hey, um, we're going to make this attack against Biden and then the network goes, okay, like we get it. And then they uh, help create that opportunity. What a nightmare. I mean, what a farce. Yeah, it's it's quite a disaster. And uh, I want to share with you the perspectives. Like I'm, I think, like a lay person who happens to find himself on the presidential debate stage being like, what the hell is going <laughs> on here? Like, well, you know what's happening? Well, I'm not on this conference call. So what do, you, what do you, what's your message to people like me and most, most and a growing number of, of people who just feel disengaged because it feels just impossible to actually understand what's going on. Even when you invest your time, you still don't understand what's going on. So what do we do? First, whatever sense of unease you have is uh, probably the least of it. Like things are worse and shittier than even most people believe uh, in my experience. Like the the institutions are just so corrupt and weak and the, the people involved are just so checked out mm. and jaded 
Washington, D.C. is not a great place. Uh, I have friends who've worked on Capitol Hill, and they went in with the best of intentions, and then 10 years later, they're just totally defeated. Wow. Like, it's it's not a good look. Uh, so first, I just want to verify everyone's sense of, <laughs> of despair. Like, the despair is well-founded. Mm. Now, as to what we can do about it, it's going to take a campaign like mine that's an outsider campaign, a non-politician, completely funded by the people, 26 bucks a pop, actually shaking things up mm -hmm. and saying, look, we can do things differently. And after I become president, we can transform the right now, like the polarization and the gridlock because everyone senses that I'm non-ideological. I'm just trying to solve the problems. I'm just trying to do it for the people. And then hopefully we can change uh, the culture. Now it's a very tall order. It's gonna be very, very difficult. But I think we can do it if enough of us get together and say, look, we're sick and tired of politics as usual and we're willing to take a chance on the Asian man who wants to give everyone money. Mm. I feel like also <laughs> with the way that you are running, it's pointing out, at least to me, the feeling that I get is how most of us really can agree on a lot of things, no matter on which side you are. And I think that's what's, what it's going to take because you need to be able to convince people who voted for Trump and pointing out that there's so much wrong that we can we all need for all of us is the way for me to do it. And I see yeah. it with the way you're running. You know, I'm happy to say uh, I'm one of only two candidates along with Bernie Sanders that over 10% of Trump voters said they would vote for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so with that, that's enough to win. If I right. become the nominee, I win this election. Mm -hmm. Easy. I think so, actually. I can't vote, but I would vote. You might oh. be able to by the time the president... Maybe. Yeah. I'm a permanent she's, resident she's right now. She's close to becoming a citizen. Wow, and you'd make America this much cooler. <laughs> yeah. After. Yeah, one more cool American. That's the way it happens. Uh, I really, I love America, and I feel like it's such a shame what's going on here, and someone needs to fix it urgently. Plus, it's you have a child a now, and the child's I know. American. And all this, all the, ga the, the gun violence... I, I can't take it anymore. I really, I cannot hear about it. Like, lately there were kids that died, babies. Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine if I was the parent. How it, do you even handle that? Yeah, it, it it's it's disastrous. I mean, as a parent, too, I, I see the images and it's like, you know, I mean, thankfully, my kids are too young to understand. Right. But we have to pr protect them from it and then change the reality on the ground before... You know, my kids and yours become old enough to show up to schools where they're having shooter drills, which a lot of schools have now. Let's touch on that mm -hmm. when we come back from a break. We'll be back right after this short break. We've got Andrew Yang, yang2020.com. Yang, yang gang. Hashtag yang, yang gang. We'll be right back in a few short minutes. <laughs> Eva, I would like to tell you about Honey. It's a plug-in for your browser that is going to save you money all the time. It's free, it's easy to install two clicks, and you will not want to spend any time on the internet without it. Let me give you an example. Here, we we're looking on Amazon for a uh, uh, video card. Look at this. The one that Amazon shows you is 250 The one that, that Honey found is fulfilled by Amazon, and it's $27 less, and it ships faster. That's right. Two days instead of three to five. Are you freaking kidding me? Not only that, Honey doesn't just work on Amazon. It works all over the place. I'm talking about eBay, Walmart, 
uh, Newegg, everywhere. It works everywhere. It automatically scours the, the Internet for the best coupon codes available and automatically applies them at checkout. They have got over 1 billion codes tested last year and have applied 180, 185 million working codes. That's a freaking ass load of savings that happens seamlessly and for free. There's a reason it's got over 100,000 five-star reviews and 10 million people who are already saving with honey. Here's what you're going to have to do, guys. It's, there's no reason not to install it. It's free, it's easy to use, and you can install it in just two clicks. So never overthink the promo code again. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash H3. That's joinhoney.com slash H3. You are going to be saving, and you never have to worry about those coupon codes again. Right, Dila? That's right. That's right. Ethan. Yes. Let me tell you about this toothbrush. Right. Quip. <laughs> right. Which is our sponsor. Quip is a great toothbrush. Yes. It's got soft bristles. I agree. It vibrates for a total of two minutes, which is what you should be brushing for at least. And it pulsates every 30 seconds to tell you to move on. Wow. Like, so you're saying that it times out a perfect two-minute brush? And then turns off when you're done. Exactly. And then every thirty seconds, it pulsates to let you know to switch to a different part section of your mouth. You got it. What? It looks slick. It does. As if Apple made it. Right. But it's quip. And um, what else? <laughs> Dentists do recommend it. <laughs> they do. <laughs> Are a lot of them apparently twenty five thousand dental professionals uh, recommend it. So that's pretty serious. And you, it, it only starts at $25. That is reasonable. So. Considering how much a high uh, electric toothbrushes cost, you look at these these other big boy. That's right. I mean, what do those cost? Five, ten thousand dollars A hundred dollars $100. And they're bulky. They are. That's just one vibrating tube. So you could go to getquip.com slash h3 mm. to get your first refill pack for free, which is this cute little thing. It's the head, head and a little toothpaste. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash h3. Wow, give it up for Eli, everybody. Get, and get your ass over to getquip.com slash h3. Wonderful. <laughs> Yang gang, mount up, we're back. Um, I want to talk about gun control and then circle back to the uh, UBI. Because I feel like I want to, I want to talk about that a lot more, but you guys were touching on before the break. The amount of shootings we're having, I, it's at two fifty just this year, and you know when I was a kid, uh, prepping for for an active shooter on campus was not even something that we ever considered or thought about, and now kids are, it seems like mo I mean it seems like all schools are having drills having consideration for if there's an active shooter on their campus. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just, that's just so beyond... So wrong. It's just so beyond reasonable. Um, I want to ask you, first of all, why, why do you think all these mass shootings are happening to begin with? To me, it's such a multifaceted problem uh, from top to bottom. And so the things that we're focused on right now are in some ways the most immediate 
problems, which is our political rhetoric and climate has demonized and vilified people on the other side then makes it seem mm-hmm. like somehow violence uh, might be appropriate in some circumstance. Certainly the fact that we have so many guns in this country, we're at almost uh, 400 million firearms, almost one for every man, woman, and child. Oh. Now that gun ownership is concentrated in uh, the hands of a relatively small number of Americans. One of the stats I saw was that 3% of Americans own 50% of the guns. Wow. So that's like a lot of guns per person in yeah. that 3%. Yeah. But 3% in a country our size is still 10 million Americans. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have the fact that the NRA is making it impossible to pass any reasonable gun safety laws, uh, even though the vast majority of Americans support right. background checks and red flag laws and, and uh, obvious safety measures. Uh, and then the deeper problems are around uh, this real this loss of any kind of uh, sense of purpose or uh, in, like the direction mm. where unfortunately it makes people more subject to hateful ideologies that can spread much more virulently on the internet now than they could have even 12 15 years ago they're finding they're finding communities that reinforce their beliefs yeah this internet pioneer named Jaron Lanier uh, pointed out that negative ideas and sentiments spread much more powerfully on the internet than mm-hmm. positive ones. Mm-hmm. And if you think about your own experience in social media, oh, yeah. it's kind of true. It's like the toxic things like to sort of uh, take on a life of their own. Mm. And so that's helping fuel this set of problems. Uh, so that there are problems up and down, uh, and we have to try and attack each one in turn. Uh, but unfortunately, it's going to be with us for a long time because, again, we're talking about a country with... Uh, 300 million plus firearms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's dark. I mean, even if we passed some of these gun safety laws, which we 100% should and will, uh, we need to have a perpetual buyback in effect, uh, in my opinion, where we just say, look, anytime you want to sell your gun, like we'll buy it off you like that mm-hmm. <laughs> because we need to try and get the supply down over time. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Why are people feeling so purpose uh, purposeless, so nihilistic? I mean, really, that's what these people are is just such a dark nihilistic uh i mean it always ends with them killing themselves they want to kill themselves they want to kill other people what is that a symptom of in terms of like mentally where that comes from i think unfortunately we're in like a period of just vast disillusionment in our society where if you came of age in another era they would say hey here are the things that are important and if you do this then it's going to work out for you in this way and Mm -hmm. that way and then now we just don't believe any of it. Right. You know, now you say, hey, you go to college. Part of you is like, well, you're just going to load me up with debt. I'm going to graduate. I'm not going to have the job. And the adults will be like, oh, you should still do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like where, whereas before, maybe that promise actually was real. Maybe right. if you went to college and things would work out in mm-hmm. very positive ways. So you know, people look around and say, I don't believe in our institutions. I don't believe uh, in what my future holds, uh, and then you become subject to all sorts of very terrible and sinister um, ideas and ideologies. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can speak for myself as a college graduate that um, without, I mean, the very unlikely chance of me succeeding as an entertainer, before that I was really, I was a waiter. I had no prospect of finding a, a, a serious job. I lived in Israel for five years with Ela. And I was able to find a job there because I was qualified as a, as a English speaker. But I think the the uh, prospects are bleak for a lot of people. Um, there's just not opportunities out there. 
Yeah, the numbers bear it out, too. I mean, our, our economy has stopped um, producing quality jobs with benefits for years and years, where 94% of the new jobs that are getting created are temp, gig, or contractor jobs that often don't have secure benefits. Mm-hmm. And so if that's what you're producing in your economy, then people rightfully feel like their future is uh, often quite bleak. So let's say we get the freedom dividend going and we're giving everyone $1,000 a month. Would Does, you like to explain that maybe a little more in case anyone doesn't know? Yeah, I should I should get into that, but um, I'll finish this thought okay. and we'll get into it. But, like, if we're giving people $1,000 a month, is that going to solve that issue even? You know, like, and if we keep going into the future, 50 years, yep. 100 years, yep. I mean, how many jobs are left, right? Well, this is the fundamental reinvention that's in many ways at the heart of my campaign. So right now, our economy revolves around these ideas of uh, capital efficiency, where the market says, you know, if you're an accountant, you're worth 75000 If you're mm-hmm. a truck driver, you're worth 46000 mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And what I'm saying right now is, look, technology is going to come that's going to do the job of the accountant and the truck driver. And then what is their new market worth going to be? Not what it was. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. it, it's sort of unclear what the new value is. So we're in the midst of the greatest economic transformation in human history. And we need to start finding new pursuits and jobs and ways to value our own time. And one of the examples I use is that my wife is at home with our two boys, one of whom has autism, and the market values her work at zero. And there are millions of women around the country in the same boat where we're like, your, your time's worth zero. And we all, we all know that the work she's doing is some of the hardest and most oh important God. work that anyone does. Yeah, you know, you have a two-month-old. You're like, holy crap, this is the hardest oh job I've ever that, to do. That's the, that's the, the issue hardest. with capitalism, though, right? Because they don't produce... Uh, like tangible, I guess tangible. They don't. They don't, right? Produce uh, to the to the economy in 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 a, in a touchable way, right? It's an right. intangible asset. And so, in in a way, we have to transform what we think of as tangible value. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, if you make another human being stronger and healthier, <laughs> that's actually that's good. Yeah, immensely valuable. Yeah, it's just right now our economic statistics don't value that. Uh, appropriately or investing in your and having a happy healthy family is good for society yes and so this is the great opportunity in an age where technology is going to end up assuming more and more work is that we have to rethink and broaden what we think of as work and then we have to come up with different and better and more human ways of valuing our own time Mm. Because if we play out the capital efficiency race, we lose <laughs> like at an epic level. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I joke, but it's true. I was an unhappy corporate attorney for five whole months, and I can guarantee you, you can automate that job away. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like this isn't just like the warehouse shelver. Like this is the lawyers, the accountants, the radiologists. Like it just goes on on the list. So that so we have to take this chance to evolve and start thinking more deeply about okay, what is the work we want to do? What is valuable? in our lives? How do we reward and incentivize the work that we need more of for ourselves? And so I have some big ideas on this. The $1,000 a month is not the solution. It's a foundation. Hmm. It's like the floor on which you can start building. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it gives us a chance. It gets the boot off of people's throats and it gives us a chance to start measuring our economic progress in things that would actually matter to us, Mm -hmm. like our health and well-being our mental health and freedom from substance abuse, how our kids are doing, mm-hmm. how clean our air and water is, like whether we enjoy the work we're doing, th- things that might actually 
uh, get us excited. Mm-hmm. One of the jokes that like currently seem like a privilege, you know, to someone who's just busy surviving. Yes. Mm. But one of the jokes I tell is how many people get excited about GDP when they wake up in the morning? They're like, oh, I'm going to make a big gotta make, contribution. Gotta to GDP. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if, if you were to say how many of you get excited if you were to make your community stronger, mentally healthier, people would be like, oh, that would be tr- tremendous. It's just most people don't have the opportunity to do that kind of work. So this is the big chance we have, and we have to take it because if we stay on this road too long, GDP uh, and capital efficiency are going to send us flying off a cliff. Mm. And one of the things I say to people is like, look, self-driving trucks will be great for GDP. You're going to save tens of billions of dollars. It's going to be terrible for the three and a half million truck drivers <laughs> and mm. the seven million Americans who work in truck stops, motels, and diners around the country waiting for the truckers to get out and have a meal. Mm. So you guys run a business, and so you have measurements you look at all the time. It's around like how engaged vi- viewers are, like how, mm-hmm. like how many people are clicking on things. We need the right measurements for our society. We made up GDP almost 100 years ago, and even the inventor said this is a terrible measurement of national well-being and we should never use it as that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was 100 years ago. Right. And so here we are just still following it 100 years later, being like, oh, GDP is going to tell us how we're doing. We need to evolve. Mm-hmm. Do you have an idea for what that new metric might look like? I mean, what 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 is it? Yes, I do. So I call it the American scorecard, and it keeps GDP as one data point, but it integrates health and life expectancy, mental health and freedom from substance abuse, childhood education and success rates, environmental quality. Mm. And we have numbers for these things. And so we can integrate them into our economic measurements. And then at the State of the Union every year as president, I will actually present the scorecard and say, as an example, eight Americans are dying of drug overdoses every hour. That's terrible and unconscionable. So we're going to get that down by 50% over the next few years. And here's how we're going to do it. Mm. And then if individuals or companies or organizations put resources to work to move society in that direction, then they actually get rewarded economically. Mm. Because right now, the problem is that all the economic rewards cut in this direction. And then all of the helping people rewards cut the other direction. Right. So what would an incentive look like for, let's say, Amazon to how, how could Amazon contribute, for example, to an issue like that? Well, the first thing we do is we take our fair share of every Amazon sale and distribute it to people. And that's mm-hmm. not something Amazon has a choice about. It's yeah. just like, hey, guess what? This is the new way. Right. And then the and I will say I'm supported by hundreds of techies who are down with this plan mm-hmm. because yeah. uh, they're yeah. not all bad. They're just like, look, I'm doing my job and like I, I get that there are these problems. So that's yeah. number one. But go ahead. The VAT that you put on Amazon, uh, theoretically, what percentage are we talking about of their revenue? Well, I'm. My proposal is a 10% VAT, which is half the European level. Hmm. Oh, wow. Sorry, go ahead. I, oh, I, I never got that, yeah. that stat. I'm just curious. So essentially, 10% of all the sales Amazon's making goes is, becomes a tax to the government. Yeah. And then which they is get still pretty low. In the right. scheme, right. If you're looking yeah. at 10%, yeah, well, yeah, I'd love to pay 10%. <laughs> yeah, I'd be rich as hell if I only paid 10%. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, uh, so that's... Uh, the first move is you say, look, guess what? American people now get a slice. Um, it'll help you too. Everyone's happy. And I have hundreds of techies who are behind me and think that this is the best path forward. You think Jeff Bezos will be down with that or they'll lobby against it? Well, I know that Jeff Bezos knows that his number one obstacle now is the U.S. government. And so he has to figure out how to manage that. It is no mystery. He bought the Washington Post. He moved Amazon's HQ2 mostly to the D.C. area. He bought this giant home there. He gets it. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. He's like, okay, the the number one thing that could stand in my way of getting to do whatever I want is the is the federal government waking up. And so let me try and keep pat it back to sleep. Oh <laughs> oh, it's almost it's almost unimaginable that one human being could not could be so powerful, but also so uh, hell bent on on singularly affecting uh, the economy for 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 his own benefit. For I mean, how could you, as one human, it's almost inconceivable, isn't it, to get inside his head and to think? I mean, just to just to keep gathering and gaining for for oneself at the benefit of an entire country does he must not see it that way surely oh he doesn't see it that way i mean he he's spending billions on rockets to mars and for him he thinks the wealth is much better in my hands than Mm -hmm. in the government's hands Mm -hmm. because i'm going to advance the uh, species Mm -hmm. i'm going to get us to mars what the hell would the government do with this money? The government would just do something stupid with it. Mm-hmm. So that's one perspective. It's his perspective. Uh, you know, we can't take that perspective all the way to the bank if we're the American people. And then it's not just Jeff. It's like, you know, uh, the Jeff uh, of of industry, why is yeah. he uh, like... Uh, There's uh, a, uh, a lot yeah. of Jeffs. Yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of Jeffs. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the number one big move is we say, look, we get a slice and that's going to make society stronger and healthier. But number two... If they do something, because right now big companies, they do something for good PR and then they say to people, look, it was good PR. So what we say to them is, hey, Amazon, if you can demonstrate that you're making children in this community stronger or improving the mental health of this group of people or helping these ex-convicts reintegrate into society or cleaning up the environment and we can document that, then we can give you a tax credit for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so How that's do you a give way someone you- a tax credit who's paying zero? Well, I know in this case, well, obviously, we'd get them off the zero tax bracket. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and they can carry over the tax credit. I mean, there, there are different ways to create carrots and sticks for these companies. Um, the trick right now, though, is to try and align their well-being with ours because right now their bottom line is like goal one, two, and three. And then they're paying zero tax is also part of their job. One of the things I say is, look, it's Amazon's job to try and pay as little in taxes as possible. It's our job to make it, mm-hmm. it make it impossible for them to pay zero in taxes right. over and over again. The game is rigged right now. They don't have yeah. a strong competitor. They don't have a strong competitor. Yeah, um, we were talking about gun control. We got we got off that really really quickly somehow, but I did want to ask you this to circle back to that. Um, it's 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 a complicated issue. You say that most Americans want uh, common sense gun laws. It does seem like a party issue where most conservatives, uh, there's kind of this echo chamber of people who are saying, don't restrict us. The government wants to take all of our guns. I mean, there's propaganda. But but how do you how do you get around the Second Amendment? Like the wording of it specifically says the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Do you intended that the authors of that uh, meant for there to be no restrictions on it at all? Because it does say shall not be infringed. So how do you interpret that line? Well, to me, you have to think of the intent at the time. And at that moment, they could not foresee automatic weapons that could uh, kill dozens of Americans in very, very short periods of time. For them, bare arms meant, you know, a single shot, (laughs) musket or rifle to make sure that, you know, like you you can't... um, uh, be completely marginalized uh, in you know, your own town or in your own country. So 
I'm for adhering to the Second Amendment in the sense that there are many, many law abiding gun owning Americans and they have that right and that, that right's going to continue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're, they're strong propaganda because what you always see is people basically saying they want to take all of our guns away. Yeah, that, that is the argument. And that to me is because if you look at the numbers, 80 to 90 percent of Americans on both sides of the aisle agree that we should have background checks for gun owners. They agree that we should not have people who are uh, um, criminally violent or uh, have some other red flag associated with their record be allowed to, to buy guns. <laughs> yeah. So the vast majority of Americans on both sides of the aisle, but you're right that there's a passionate subgroup. And it goes back to what I said before, 3% of Americans own 50% of guns. Right. I have a feeling that's a very passionate 3%. <laughs> <laughs> right. What I wonder too is when this was written, were citizens allowed to own cannons or other, you know, weaponry of more massive destruction? Do you know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. And I don't know the answer to that. Uh, and, and today, too, I mean, this is morphed in a particular way because if the purpose is to defend yourself against government incursion, I mean, at this point, like, our government owns things bigger than cannons. You you're, know? <laughs> well, <laughs> like, and any AK-47 or whatever you've got, I mean, the government, if they want, you're, that's not going to make a difference. Yeah. Uh, and, and so that this is like a, to me, something that has strayed from the original <laughs> intent yeah, of, of the, yeah. of the framework. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, and one joke that Joe Rogan said is that if, if the writers of the constitution woke up today, they'd be shocked that we didn't write any new shit. Right. <laughs> you know, right. like the constitution <laughs> actually had ways to be sort of, uh, you know, like, uh, modified amended, or, evolved, ratified, or amended, yeah, yeah like they're different <laughs> things. I mean, the whole point was that it was. I mean, it was meant to be a living document. It's meant to be, yeah, yeah. Hmm. And and that's one of the dangers right now in the U.S. is that um, we have lost confidence in our government. We lo- also lost co- mm-hmm. go- confidence in our government to update its own operating system. Mm-hmm. Right. Where one of the things I point out is how the heck are we still um, hyperventilating about? Supreme Court justices who are 80 something years old and be like, oh my gosh, if they get sick, like it's going to be terrible. It's like, why do we have have lifetime appointments for Supreme Court justices? Like, you know, uh, because when they started that back in the day, one, people did not live as long as they did now. So you didn't have 86 year old. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And number two, Supreme Court justices just stepped down for any of a a number of reasons. They didn't just stay there until they died. It wasn't Uh like some. some political like long game. No, and they and, gracefully stepped down. Yeah, they would, yeah. They would step down. Yeah, and and so uh, we just need to try and solve the problems of this time with the tools we have in this time. Mm. And the tools we have are much more advanced in some ways, like around our economic measurements. Like we actually have measurements that we can utilize that are much more nuanced and uh, powerful than GDP, mm-hmm. as an example. Uh, do you think that video games make people violent? I should say that I was a gamer growing up, so I think I understand gaming. What'd you play? Warcraft, Starcraft, uh, that nice. generation. That's my That's shit. Really good. <laughs> Brood War? Um, yes. Starcraft, yes. the yeah. first expansion set. Yeah, and Starcraft. Uh, I was a Protoss guy. Mm. Yeah, you would be. <laughs> yeah, I would be, right? <laughs> yeah. That's true. <laughs> So, so you so, so I, I think that gaming culture uh, speaks to some very natural and important instincts among men in particular. I think men are a uh, majority of, of gamers. 
um, I think that there's a lot of community involved. I remember making friends online and everything. Uh, no, there are certainly some games that probably make you a little more numb to certain forms of interactions than, than others. Uh, but the majority of gaming cultures, it, in my experience, is quite benign. So you're saying there are certain pockets where you think could desensitize people to, for example, violence? Yeah, I think if someone were just to play first-person shooters like uh, all day, every day for a while, um, you know, they might become like, uh, you know, like a little bit checked out as to what it means to, to be um, holding like a firearm in real life and like, well, you know, the actual impact in the real world of, sure. of what that would mean. But that to me would be like an edge case that would apply to like virtually none of the gamers that I actually know in real life. I mean, I see your point about like, if you're playing a first-person shooter and you go to a gun range and shoot a rifle, obviously you're going to find out that what you're experiencing in the video game uh, is not very realistic when you see how heavy it is and the amount of kickback it has and how loud it is. <laughs> but um, would you go? Would you would you support the claim that a lot of these people who have been doing these uh, uh, mass shootings, who have played first-person shooters all day? Or is is that actual and observable? Because I, I well, th this is something that you see in the media. Fox News, for example, and the president recently said that violent video games ha are part of the issue, contributing to this amount of mass shooters. So that's what I'm getting at specifically. To me, that would be very, very, very low on any list uh, below many of the more concrete elements like how they get their hands on a uh, an actual gun would be like at the top of the list or mm -hmm. like you know like rhetoric that villainizes other people or mm -hmm. uh, NRA taking our freaking legislature hostage mm -hmm. like those to me would be the top of the list and then somewhere after you get through dozens and dozens of other things like mm -hmm. what would be um like some impact of video games mm. that's fair enough that's fair. I think that's a fair <laughs> answer and, and very true I mean I was I was quite shocked to see the president come out in his speech, addressing these these back-to-back -back shootings we had, and, and 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 specifically saying violent video games are part part to blame, are, are one of the issues that we need to address to prevent this from happening in the future. Well, uh, that, that's in many ways a political answer because it's trying to say, look, the things that are up here on the list, I don't mm. want to talk about too much. <laughs> so let me pick right. out something that's lower on the list and elevate it. Mm. Yeah. It kind of speaks to people that don't really understand too, because I saw it on Fox News the day before, and it, it, it speaks to people like my parents who have never held a controller in their life and can easily digest that. Just, oh yeah, kids are playing violent video games, so they're shooting up schools. But, uh, at any rate, uh, speaking of Trump, if you're on the debate stage, one-on-one -on -one versus Trump, he has a, very, a specific debating style, as as everyone knows, of almost the, you know, the, the cadence of a high school bully, the name-calling, the degrading, but he's a very fierce debater and, and very successful debater, too, I think. It creates quite a spectacle. Uh, do you have a strategy going one-on-one? -on -one? If you were to get the Democratic nominee, how would you confront Trump on a one-in-one -one debate? A Trump voter in the Midwest said to me that he can't wait for me to debate Donald Trump because he thinks that I would crush him. 
And the reason why he said this is that whereas Donald Trump's all bluster and spectacle, you're all facts and, and logic. I'm like ice to his fire. Right. Mm-hmm. And so one of the, the jokes, I was trying to imitate Trump and I was like, uh, you know, comrade Yang, go back to China. <laughs> or, yeah. you know, or something like that. And then... <laughs> you know, like it would just Comrade Gang is pretty good. Nickname. Yeah, that, that's what we came up with yeah. as his nickname for me because it's like a little racist and mm-hmm. um, you know, tries to <laughs> make later the socialist thing. Right. And why I say it, you know, in other contexts, it's like it's not socialism; it's capitalism where income doesn't start at zero. <laughs> but in a debate with Trump, it would just seem so ridiculous because I would just be there talking the facts, saying, "Look, here are the real problems," and some of the problems he called out and got a lot of credit for that. Uh, but I have real solutions and people can pick up on that very, very quickly where mm-hmm. he's like, we're going to bring the jobs back. We're going to build a wall. It's like, I'm going to distribute Abstract. the bounty yeah. and give you a thousand dollars a month. And I agree the problems are real. Right. Uh, the Democrats response in the last cycle, he was like, we're going to bring the jobs back. We're going to build a wall. We're going to make America great again. And then the Democratic response was America's already great. Right. And that is not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying we're we have, big, big trouble. We have real problems and we need yeah. to solve them as fast as possible. And one way to do it is by uh, giving people a dividend of a thousand bucks a month to be a game changer for millions of families. So people can see through the bluster. And even a lot of people who voted for Donald Trump are tired of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What do you what do you think the the Democrats big problem was against Trump? I know you you touched on one issue of them kind of saying, hey, the status quo is actually good, is what they're saying. And as what they were mo- saying, yeah, most people know well. that's just, it's like, well, why do I feel this way then? Mm-hmm. Um, but wh- what, wh- how is it possible that uh, Hillary lost to Donald Trump? I mean, it seems un- unimaginable. It seemed unimaginable at the time. What were the fatal flaws of her campaign that you, that you saw? It was a relatively low number of swing voters in the swing states, Michigan, Ohio, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. You have only 65,000 people in those states vote the other way, and then uh, Donald Trump is not our president. Um, There was almost certainly some degree of interference, uh, and it's been documented that the Russian government has been trying to push our Mm -hmm. elections in particular ways, and that have a lot of bots that are elevating certain Mm -hmm. types of online discussion. Mm -hmm. So there were a bunch of factors uh, but to me, the, the one thing the Democratic Party should be examining is why does so many Americans also not have much faith in the Democratic solutions? Mm. No, and, and that's something that we can fix. We can say, look, if the American people aren't buying this set of solutions and proposals, like maybe we need to translate into something that'll actually touch people day to day that trusts people. Because mm. one danger that Democrats get into is that they trust institutions more than people. Mm. Uh, you know, it's like, how are we going to fix things? We're going to, you know, fix this institution or we're going to send everyone to college. We're going to do these things. And, uh, and then it's like, well, some of that will help some people, but mm. more Americans would be excited about it if you put your confidence in them Mm. And you acted like we are all owners and shareholders of this democracy, like mm. small D Democrat. Mm. Nice. Um, okay, let's let's get to the heart of 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 your campaign: uh, the universal basic income, um, the freedom dividend, as you call it. You say it tested better with Republicans with the, the word freedom. freedom. Yes, did did yeah. you do? Uh-huh. How did, what is that? You did actual like. Uh, test like focus groups. Yeah, well, it was, it was market sampling and online. So we tested a bunch of names: Social Security for All, Universal Basic Income, obviously, 
um, opportunity dividend, prosperity dividend, freedom dividend was the clear winner. It's a beautiful American phrase. I could see like the flag waving in the wind and the bald eagle <laughs> screaming, the freedom dividend. Yeah, I who like could it. be against the freedom <laughs> dividend? Yeah, You'd have to be right. some kind of jerk. So, <laughs> let, let, I'll let, can you explain what universal basic income is for those people who don't know? Yeah. Universal basic income is a policy where everyone in a society, in this case every U.S. citizen, gets a certain amount of money to meet your basic needs, no questions asked. So my proposal of freedom dividend would be uh, $1,000 a month in the hands of every American adult starting at age 18 until the day you die, $12,000 a year. And this seems dramatic, but this has actually been proposed and almost passed in America any number of times over the years. Mm. Thomas Paine was for it at the founding of the country. Martin Luther King was fighting for it in mm. 1967 when he was assassinated in 1968. Milton Friedman, a thousand economists, endorsed it in the 70s. It passed the U.S. House of Representatives and the Congress twice in 71, so it came this close really? to being law. Yeah. What was the amount they were, they were prepared to give out then? Uh, it was about $12,000 um, a head. Wow. wow. Yeah. And they even ran studies. If you can imagine a government that was so functional that they actually just started giving money to Americans just to see what would happen. The U.S. government did that in the 60s. They started giving people money and be like, oh, what's going on? And the data was very, very promising. They did that? Huh. Yeah, they did that. What'd they do? They picked random groups of Americans in New Jersey and Colorado and other parts of the country to start giving them cash and then follow them around to see what happened. Really? Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah, could you imagine did a functional Americans government about that? that? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, th this was... It was like a lottery? This was all the rage in the sense that everyone thought this was a good idea. Again, a thousand economists signed a study saying this would be great for America uh. if we just guaranteed a certain amount of money for every American. We just passed Social Security. We just passed uh, Medicare. And so the American people were looking around being like, hey, like maybe we can do some other great stuff. Mm. And Martin Luther King was saying, like, we should do this. And then... It was endorsed by a lot of people, and then it passed the U.S. House of Representatives. So during that time, Congress, when they were looking to pass it, they said, well, we should just give people money to see what happens. And you said the results were good. The results were really good. You so saw, what happened? Uh, so it passed the U.S. House of Representatives twice, and then it got stalled in the Senate because Democrats in the Senate wanted an even higher income threshold. I shit wow. you not. And someone who worked in democratic politics at that time said it was the biggest mistake we ever made. We should have just wow. signed that. Oh my God. And then, and then the moment was lost and then Nixon gets impeached and then, you know, like, a, wow. like the, the pendulum swings, huh. you wind up with Reagan and then the whole moment was lost. But it just gives you a sense of how mainstream this idea was, mm. how the, like it came this close to being law. It became a law in Alaska and, you know, like not that long afterwards in the um, early 80s. And so it's it's not like a far out idea. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that frustrates me is that now, you know, I'm like the quote unquote futurist uh, <laughs> presidential candidate being like, oh, crazy thousand bucks a month. It's like this was mainstream American <laughs> political wisdom in the 60s and 70s. What the hell happened to us where now we think it's nuts? Mm. <laughs> like, you know, right. you know, it's like, well, now we need it even more than we did then. Yes. right? Yes. Now we actually now need it. Now it's a necessity. And. And the, when, when you start thinking about it for a minute, like it becomes common sense, um, but like it gets caricatured in various ways, even though it's actually, again, it's like a deeply American and mainstream idea. And now like Barack Obama came out and said, we should talk about it. Uh, you know, Elon Musk and like Zuckerberg and others are like, we should totally do it. Like it, it's, it's actually 
in many ways, this conversation is definitely overdue. In my opinion, this should have been passed years ago. Mm. Mm-hmm. Certainly an exciting time where, where, where your campaign is growing. Uh, your people are it's resonating. I mean, what an exciting thing it would be for the United States. Um, well, yeah, anyone watching this or listening to it, you can be part of the Yang Yang. It's a very cheap <laughs> gang to join. Yeah, it's very the wholesome. Gang round. The cheapest gang around. <laughs> if you gave $27, you'd be an above average member of the gang. You know? Think of it as yeah. an investment. Yeah, you get a thousand dollars a month, a month for life. Yeah, yeah. you know what's the return on uh, twenty-seven bucks? Then I can do the math. I'm very good in math. No, I can't do that math. That's, that's <laughs> complicated. It's very high. Very, How would very, you very get high. it? You just get a wire transfer every month. To it's your opt bank? in. You sign in. Uh, you know, you uh, you give them the way you want the money. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, direct deposit Check, in your account is, deposit, is preferable. Whatever. What about someone who's making a lot of money? Is it a tax deduction or you you it, it's money that you put in the account? So it, it comes into your account um, and you don't pay tax on it, but you pay money on your other income just uh, so as you it don't, will be. Okay. How'd you get interested in uh, UBI? When was there a moment where you're like, ah, oh, this this is the solution? I mean, so I ran this nonprofit that I had started. Venture for America, that our job was to create American jobs. Mm-hmm. So we helped create about 3,000 American jobs over seven years, and I got a bunch of medals and awards, and like everyone being like, oh, yay, <laughs> like, well done. So during that time, I was obviously very interested in jobs and the future of work. So I would read various books about the future of work, and some of the books about the future of work were like, hey, guess what? Robots are coming, mm-hmm. and we should really start looking into what that's going to mean. Future of work is, there's no work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so a lot of them were, were saying, we should do a universal basic income. And then I, when I read these books, I said, oh, yeah, that makes sense. We should totally do that. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then in 2015, I read another book called Raising the Floor by a guy named Andy Stern, who used to run the biggest labor union in the U.S. And he said the future of labor is no labor, we're screwed, and we should move to a dividend. Mm. And so I read that, and I was like, wow, it's not just the tech guys, it's the labor leader mm. saying mm. we need to do this. Mm. So I became convinced at that mm. point and uh, became very passionate about it uh, during that period. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I think this is a misconception that a lot of people have, or at least an opinion. The intention of universal basic income is not to enable people not to work. Yeah, exactly. Not <laughs> right. That's right. Right. I mean, because $1,000 a month, first of all, not enough money for most people. And, and second of all, I think that a lot of people derive purpose in their life from their work. So, um, with like in 50 years when there's no jobs, and, and or let's say let's say ten years, someone can't find a job. They're getting a thousand dollars a month. Um, what what do you do when you, when that's not enough? So, first, could not agree more that one of the biggest misconceptions is that universal basic income or the freedom dividend is somehow going to reduce work, because number one, it recognizes a lot of the work that we're already doing that does not get recognized, mm-hmm. and it would be an enormous catalyst to entrepreneurship, arts, creativity, mm-hmm. nurturing, caregiving, all these things we kind of want to do mm-hmm. that the market says are, it's not worth enough for you to make a living at it, so don't do it. So it would create and recognize and reward a lot of the work that we're trying to do is number one. Number two, if you imagine what $12,000 a year would mean in a town of, let's call it 100,000 adults, you're talking about another 
twelve million dollars like a month yeah that that's coming through that town um and so that doesn't just help the individuals that supercharges the local businesses it supercharges the local nonprofits it supercharges the volunteer organizations and and so when you say, hey say what are the jobs of the future look like it could be that 20 years from now it's very normal to work in uh and a job that just helps make other people stronger, mm. healthier, mentally healthier, helps clean our environment. Mm-hmm. Things that right now there's no market demand for. Mm. There could mm-hmm. actually be massive opportunities in. The problem right now is that, again, we're following capital efficiency, and it mm. says these things are worth zero. Mm. Right. So the big change we have to make is if we, we change the measurements and say these things are actually worth, like, a lot. Mm. Yeah. Then that's the well, seven, those are good jobs to have, yeah. right? It's just right now those are not good jobs to have because because there's no money. Yeah, they pay shitty and like you know no one respects you and it's like if you do that just be like you know so that's like the the evolution we have to make and it's it's more achievable than people think. I mean the first steps just get some money into people's hands and the great thing is if you put money into people's hands that's going to supercharge the kind of work that people want to do because people would choose to then start a new organization, start businesses, donate to their local, uh, local org. Such an interesting idea too. And I mean, there's such a disparity of wealth, not just with the Jeffs of the world, but between, you know, uh, Kansas and Los Angeles, thousand dollars is going to help lift them up a lot more than it is people in Los Angeles. And I think among citizens of the United States would make a big, difference in equality of, of mm-hmm. wealth as well. It really would. The disparities between different parts of the country are so vast. Yeah. Where you travel around. And it's a it's, different world. Yeah, we're a lot of little countries or a lot of different countries in one country. Yeah. And that was one of my experiences with Venture for America going to many of these regions I had not been to. You drive, you know, an hour out of Birmingham or something like that, like you find yourself in like a, a different sort of environment. Right. Yeah, I've seen that too. But I'm I'm wondering we've we've talked about the VAT tax. Does that pay for the whole thing? Would this increase taxes on middle or lower class people? It increases the purchasing power of 94% of Americans. Uh, you know, you're like one of the jokes is like, why did the bank robber rob the bank? Because that's where the money is. We got to go to where the money is. <laughs> the money's not in like the hands of like the average workaday American. So, uh, but the 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 great thing is here are the other ways we get the money. So, number one, get a slice of every Amazon sale, every Google search, Mm -hmm. every Facebook ad. Does Mm -hmm. that cover the whole thing? No. But here's the magic. Number two, money in our hands ends up growing our economy by 10 to 12 percent, and we get 400 billion in new tax revenue because of all the additional money is getting spent. Mm -hmm. Number three, if you get uh, the boot off of Americans' throats, you end up making us uh, healthier, better educated mentally healthier. And one study said that just alleviating gross poverty would increase our GDP by $700 billion just based on better education and health outcomes. And that's Mm -hmm. it. Like not more businesses started, none of that Mm -hmm. stuff. It's just health and education. Mm -hmm. And then number four, we'd save hundreds of billions on things like incarceration, homelessness services, emergency Mm -hmm. room healthcare. We're spending over a trillion on that stuff Mm -hmm. now. That's true. And there was a, a corrections officer in New Hampshire who said to me flat out, he said, we should pay people 
uh, to stay out of jail. <laughs> because, That's what you want to do. Because he sees that when they're in jail, we spend so much yeah. money. This is a prison guard making yeah. this case to me. Mm-hmm. So if he sees it, we try and say, like, oh, we're saving money by not spending money on ourselves. We just end up spending the money in more expensive and dark and punitive ways anyway. Yeah. 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 So you invest it in ourselves in the trickle-up economy, um, then you end up saving yourself tons of money. Mm-hmm. So in short, you are not raising taxes on middle and lower classmen. Oh, no. The, the goal is to get more purchasing power into our hands. Because right now, the middle class is getting uh, eroded very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And that's not where the money is. You know, mm-hmm. we got to go where the money is. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So who would be eligible? I know you say anyone over eight, 18 until the day they die. For example, would uh, legal residents like my wife be eligible? Would undocumented cool. residents be eligible? Illegal immigrants, guest workers? Uh, so it is only citizens, uh, but it's one reason why having you become a citizen would be awesome. <laughs> and you're going to become a citizen. Oh, no, Yang gang. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm for a path to citizenship for people who are here and undocumented. I'm certainly for a path to make it easier for people who want to live and work here to, to stay here. Um, okay. I'm the son of immigrants myself. Right. No, like I, I know that immigrants are very positive for this country socially, economically. Um, but the dividend would kick in after you become a citizen. Okay. So it's a very powerful incentive to yeah. go through all the rigmarole that that you're probably dealing with right now. Yeah. <laughs> what about what about uh, citizens abroad? That is such an interesting question. So the reality is that the economic benefits um, become exponentially higher if the money gets spent within the country itself, rather than having a large number of citizens who let's say, moves to, to another part of the world and then spend the money there. Mm-hmm. So you're a citizen, you get the dividend forever, but um, there's like a certain time frame after which like if you live abroad for a certain number of months, mm-hmm. then the dividend gets uh, like held for you for when you come back to the, mm-hmm. the country. Interesting. So you don't mm-hmm. lose it, it just accrues. Yeah. Interesting. Is there any prevention, let's say I want to go live in Thailand because it's cheap. So I go come back in three years, I get all my dividends, and then I bounce back to Thailand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so that, that's like the, the thing we're trying to avoid is that then, um, but then if you bounce back to Thailand, then, you know, the dividend would start uh, accruing again. Uh, so the goal is to make it so that the vast, vast majority of the money gets spent here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, would there be disqualifying factors? Felons, for example, people in prison? If we're spending the money on your incarceration, then you don't receive the dividend. Um, the benefit if though, you're in jail, yeah. you don't get the money. But the great thing then is you come out. It's a very powerful incentive for you to, to stay, stay out. out. So felons who have served their time get the dividend when they come out. Yeah. They, they start getting out. it, and yeah. also does not accrue mm-hmm. during that time. Does not accrue, right? So, but then if you come out, then everyone's excited to see you. Mm-hmm. It's like a thousand bucks. Um, you know, imagine like coming out of prison and everyone's like psyched to have you because you're coming with a dividend. Mm. Whereas right now you come back and you have very unclear prospects. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, how, how would a homeless person receive this money? Yeah, I just had a conversation with people about this. Obviously, the homeless person is not in a position to have a bank account and sign up and get the money. But it creates an enormous incentive for us to help that person mm-hmm. get on their feet. Because mm-hmm. right now, what's the economic incentive to help that homeless person? Nothing. Zero in many yeah. cases. So imagine if you were a city agency or a nonprofit and you said, hey, every person I help, there's a thousand bucks a month in it for them. And then I'm going to get some of that. And then all of a sudden you have much more 
in the way of resources to help people who are homeless. Because Los Angeles is in, in the midst of a homeless crisis. Um, I wonder if something like this would would make such a big difference in, in homelessness. Because it, it's, it incentivized them to, to get yes. off the streets. And it gives them an option to live with dignity. Yes, because right now the problem is that, again, if you you fall through the cracks and you're homeless, like our incentives to help you are very low. It's just if you become a nuisance. And even then it falls to our public agencies and nonprofits. And we know those are vastly under-resourced. Mm-hmm. And so this would be a game changer for the level of incentives necessary to help get these homeless people off the street and then maybe even have low-cost um, housing available mm-hmm. for people over time. Because if you have a 1000 bucks a month, we're able to get a roof over your head in many, many cases. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, th- this is the the evolution of our economy to actually work for us. And when I say right. us, I don't mean like people who are just, you know, doing well. I mean, the people who are struggling, or substance abuse have problems that are putting them out in the street. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder if there's any unforeseen consequences of the freedom dividend. For example, uh, if you're putting $1,000 in everyone's hands, how, for example, does that affect the house, the housing market? You know, is there a situation where the inflation um, like and, uh, ends up moving that money back into the hands of like the wealthy? Like rent prices will go up because they know you have yeah. another I mean, thousand. All of a sudden, when, when, when the people whose motivation is to make as much money as possible know that everyone's walking around with an extra thousand dollars in their hand, what are the things that we need the most in this world? Medicine, health care, yeah. housing, food. And and if you look at it, those are three of the biggest sources of inflation in our economy is housing, education, healthcare, because those markets don't actually function competitively or dynamically. Right. So, so wh- how do we prevent these people from sucking up all that extra money and just becoming richer? So I have separate plans to address inflation in healthcare and education because those are their own animals. Uh, housing is the stickiest because a lot of it is based upon local zoning regs and nimbyism. And so even if I'm the president, I can't be like, hey, guess what? We're going to like wipe out your zoning regs. Like, that's not cool. Mm-hmm. But I will say that if you have a thousand bucks a month in your hands, it makes it so that if a landlord tries to really gouge you or stick it to you, that you're going to be able to be much more portable. And then if there are three of you or four of you, you'd be like, hey, instead of letting this landlord stick it to us, the four of us are getting four thousand bucks a month. Let's buy that piece of crap over there and <laughs> 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 turn it around. And the because the income's portable, it doesn't uh, necessarily mean you have to stay within whatever, 30 miles of a particular place of employment or anything like, like that. Mm-hmm. So it actually makes it much more fluid and mm-hmm. dynamic again. Now, to the extent that we can control it, we should try and curb the ability of, one, municipalities to not have affordable housing. Because, again, everything is following, following the dollar in the society. Mm-hmm. So if I have a choice between building a fancy high-rise for yuppies or affordable housing, I'm going to do the former. Right. <laughs> so to the extent that we can push incentives towards creating more diverse affordable housing options, that's mm-hmm. the direction we have to go. Mm-hmm. But it, it is going to be harder to stick it to people if they have portable income that goes mm-hmm. from everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to we're, – we're coming towards the end yeah. I know, oh no! I, I know. I'm this so much. Yeah, me I know, too. And I know you're so running out of time. You're busy. We <laughs> you're, you're busy. Busy is all hell, but it's good. I'm glad you're busy. And I'm looking forward to everything else you're doing. But I want. I have some kind of abstract futurism I questions love it. for you. Thank you. As you are kind of, you know, the candidate of the future. You know, I call myself a presentist. It's just the <laughs> other politicians are behind. Behind. <laughs> that's a. You know, that's a great so point. True. <laughs> so we talked about AI taking jobs. 
But we, we're now when we talk about AI, I think we're talking about um, automated systems. But what I'm talking about is self-actualized uh, AI, art, actual artificial intelligence. AGI, like artificial general intelligence. Yes, is what it's, it's called. Uh, with with a you know a self of self, with a sense of self-awareness yep. and self-preservation. Um, this is something that that a lot of people think is not in the you know on the far horizon. So with the, with an AI become you have this great potential and and a great risk I think. For example, an AI can crunch the numbers uh over in, in one year can crunch the numbers over thousands of years to find uh unsolvable problems or incurable diseases. Yeah. But at the same time, do you think that an AI of that magnitude is uh poses any kind of threat to humanity and civilization? I believe that we should not be overly concerned about artificial general intelligence just yet. Because when I talk to the foremost researchers in this space, they do not see a path from where we are now to artificial general intelligence. They don't okay. see that on the horizon. No, they, they don't see the path. It would have to be like a whole series of breakthroughs and learnings. Mm. Mm-hmm. That right now we have machine learning algorithms that can solve an incredibly complex problem beyond any human intelligence but they're essentially complete idiots and like two-year-olds and anything that's not that problem. They're mm-hmm. dumb. Mm-hmm. They're the, like they, you can give them this enormous data set and they come up with brilliant correlations and insights, but they're not going to plug into Skynet and you know right. like right, like right. like like threaten us anytime soon. What I'm more more concerned about is dumb artificial intelligence getting rid of a lot of our jobs, which is going to happen much much faster than the artificial general intelligence. To me, that's a back burner concern. I know there are some very, very smart people who disagree with me on this with their concern. And they're right that these trends, this development can sometimes happen in explosively nonlinear ways. Mm-hmm. You know, right. it's like could be even while I'm having this conversation, there's some breakthrough going on. Right. That, that's well, that, <laughs> changing it. I think the problem is that it, by the nature of it, that once you do have one breakthrough, then the machine itself it is capable of taking itself, itself all the way immediately. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, the the folks I talk to believe we're still a ways away from AGI. Mm. But theoretically, I mean... Theoretically, after you get a rate of self-improvement, then it can go to infinity, and then you can get there very, very fast, yeah. That, and and are you afraid possible. of that, or are you, are you is that something that... I mean, certainly a tool for human advancement that's unparalleled, but a risk, do you think? It is a risk. I mean, there there are real hazards associated with dumb AI. I mean, you can use it to cure cancer, but you could also use it to uh, hack someone's infrastructure and make it inoperable. There, there are different mm-hmm. things that, that are possible. So one of the things that I say to the folks, and I'm friendly with a lot of the techies, is that I want to be their partner as president, uh, but I also want to have a technologist who's representing the public interest, who's mm. in the vicinity, who's like, hey, guys, maybe we should unplug this one <laughs> for well, yeah, a little while I mean, we, until we... Right? We have to kind of arms think about what a regulation right. on a... And, and this is one of the most fundamental issues, is like, if you're a technologist, you look up and be like, am I really going to let this dumb backwards government try and, like, regulate? You know, that, that seems like a disaster. Having some yeah. bureaucrat in the room being like, don't do this. Like, yeah. like most techies would... Like, you know, um, want to throw themselves out a window if that was the situation. It's one reason why you need an actual technologist that the other technologists like actually respect right. and like, who's just there being like, guys, like, this is not 
a good idea right now. Like we should mm-hmm. actually like pull back. Um, it, it's a tough balance, but it's one we have to achieve as fast as possible. And the thing I'm excited about is a lot of the smartest techies in this space actually are open to it mm-hmm. and in some cases even welcome it, mm-hmm. particularly if the government is willing to put resources to work to help us stay competitive with, let's call it China, who's plowing billions and billions into the computing infrastructure necessary to make their algorithms um, smarter. And even our richest companies are looking up saying, like, I don't know if we have those kind of resources. Mm. So that's the partnership mm-hmm. that I'm looking to, to forge. And I'm friendly with some of the people that are already um, at the cutting edge of that. Mm. Do you think space is a worthwhile investment? I do think space is a worthwhile investment. I'm kind of sad that we're past the days of NASA being like, you know, mission, uh, <laughs> you know, mission to Mars, uh, like all the the 60s movies. <laughs> like, yeah. what, what all the, like, yeah. Now now all that talent's working for, you know, SpaceX or, yeah. um, or so Jeff. W- mm-hmm. What's your argument in favor of exploring space, colonizing Mars or the moon uh, in the face of, of such great challenges here on Earth? So let me be clear. Uh, if I had a choice between fixing our problems here on Earth <laughs> and making it so that we could get get some, the hell out of here, or get get like I would obviously choose solving problems on Earth and just much much higher return. There are many more of us here. Um, we're it's our natural habitat. Um, I think that space exploration is a worthy endeavor because it tends to push the frontier of human, not just knowledge, but also capacities. There are many innovations that stem from us having to try and solve such um, advanced technical problems as Mm -hmm. trying to get our people to, uh, let's call it Mars, and Mm -hmm. and being able to live there. So to me, most real innovations happen at the frontier level. And so if we can try and push Mm -hmm. ourselves in that direction, it's positive. But if you look at the order of magnitude of both the problems and the value generated, uh, we'd be if you have a choice, then you obviously have to try and, let's say, fix climate change here on Earth or uh, keep it so that we're actually able to um, feed ourselves in healthier ways. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm, I'm very much like... Certainly an can do both, too. Yeah, like right. we should be able to do both. Yeah. Uh, but, um, like, you know, it's like I'm kind of geeky. I mean, you can't be like... Yeah, you know, I mean... I mean, we got to keep some, push the envelope. There's mm-hmm. some intangible value to the dream of... of of us as an exploring species, you know? Um, yeah, completely. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's interesting that that's moving now to private companies. It you know, is. Elon Musk yeah. is more, more likely to get to Mars before the United States government. Yes. And when I, I said before in the 60s, the government was giving out money to see what, what happened. Now it's private individuals. Mm-hmm. It's, <laughs> it's Sam Altman. It's Chris Hughes. It's just people giving away money, being like, what's going on? It just goes <laughs> to show that what the government used to do now is in private hands. And that to me is something that is not ideal, honestly, because we should be able to help ourselves as a society without relying upon Mm. a handful of private individuals. Right. Well, I'm getting red flags back back, uh, in the back. You You are out of time. That is too bad. Maybe I'll come back. Yeah. uh, We'll have a second. Tell you what, after I'm president... We'll do a special. That will not happen. Interview, <laughs> but I'll, from the White House. <laughs> <laughs> not all right. Okay. I'm right now. I'm the internet that. has me. You'll uh, still uh, remember like us. A, I, I think no, 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 right not you. If you become president, you're going to be way too busy to talk to my dumbass. I disagree. I want okay. you to be covered, and I and I actually think you've got a shot. I really oh, do. Thank you. You're 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 on a trajectory 
the last debate, you cut through the bullshit masterfully, eloquently, and I, and I very much look forward to seeing you on that stage again. And I think you really do have a shot because, because uh, like AI, we're I, we're not going to be seeing linear growth here. I That's think. right. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, right, guys. If you want to support the campaign, Yang2020.com. You can donate. Think of it as an investment, guys. Huge returns. <laughs> Huge returns. <laughs> um, good luck on Thank everything, you so much. and uh, looking forward to it, and wishing you all the best. Thank you, yeah. and congratulations on the growing family. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. Uh, Thank you guys for watching. Appreciate you. God bless. We will be back on Friday. Yep. For our regular uh, scheduled episode. So have a great <laughs> week, everybody. We'll see you then. Ta-da. Bye.